Blog Talk Radio. October 9th, 2017 edition of Don't Let It Go Unheard, and this is where we discuss news, politics, and culture from an individualist perspective. I'm your host, Amy Peikoff, and welcome to those of you who are joining me over here at Blog Talk Radio. Some people are filing in. Um, If you go to the blog at don'tletitgo.com, you'll see the title of today's show. It's What Awaits the Country That Sent Columbus. Yes, Spain sent Columbus, and tomorrow, potentially, a region within Spain, Catalonia, may be declaring independence. It's not clear that they're going to do it. There's been a number of demonstrations opposed to the Declaration of Independence by Catalonia in Spain, but we're waiting to see whether it's going to happen tomorrow. Apparently, the president of the parliament there is weighing whether to do that. So there's our topic for today. We get to celebrate Columbus Day while contemplating the future of the country that sent him over and enabled the spread of Western civilization to the Americas. Uh, Check out the program notes. I've got a couple things up front on Columbus Day itself and then some things on Catalonia. Um, Just to give you a, a little bit of a preview, I was thinking just before the show that we could probably just put most topics that we're covering on the show lately under that one show topic that I had recently, which was two wrongs make a big fat mess because that's really the sense that I'm getting of what's going on in Catalonia right now, that there's wrongs on both sides and that perhaps it's better that Catalonia not declare independence. And I'll tell you my thinking about that based on some things that I've looked at Uh, and You know, similarly, we've got some stuff with Christopher Columbus. He did some right things. He did some wrong things as well. He's remembered for the right things, and he's properly remembered for the right things that he did. But we can get a mess about that. Um, Trump, Trump with the NFL. We'll talk a little bit more about that as well. And some good stuff. So as I said, go check out the blog, don'tletitgo.com, look at the program notes, and if you want to call in and talk about any of the topics that I've got going there, the number at which to do so is 760-888-5817. Again, that's 760-888-5817. I had one friend who said, uh, I don't know if this is the only reason that he was going to listen, but he was saying he'd be listening for updates. We've had a some you know kind of a fire close by. Southern California's got a lot of brush fires and there was one that was fairly close by and was creating a lot of really 
disturbing looking brown smoke in the sky, you know, right out as I look out the window and stuff. And it seems to be a lot better. So it's not as brown, plenty of, you know, it smells like smoke. There's dust and everything everywhere. So I'm going to have to do a cleanup operation. But as far as I know about danger, I think that I'm not in any kind of danger. So don't worry about that. I, I would hope that you listen for other reasons just then to hear if I'm going to get burned up in some forest fire or whatever. Uh, do continue to listen to the show, but I'm not going to keep you hanging on and say, okay, hold on for one more commercial break to find out whether I'm going to get burned up in a brush fire. Um, I don't think it's, it's going to happen. I've got other friends who are up in the Sonoma Napa area. And they have been suffering, I think, from what is a larger, much larger fire. Last I read, about 1,500 structures lost in that fire so far. So best wishes to everybody who might be listening or listens on podcasts and stuff from up in that area. I would imagine that if you're up in that area, you're probably not listening to me. You're probably watching to see if you're going to get an evacuation order or something. So, yeah, I'm relieved. I was, it was only about 20 minutes or so where I was looking outside going, oh gosh, is this going to come towards me? And am I actually going to be one of the people who gets a brush fire evacuation order? But no, it doesn't look like that at all. So yeah, welcome to those of you who are just filing in right now. Like I said, run to the blog, don'tletitgo.com. Check out the program notes. What does await the country that sent Columbus? First, we'll talk a little bit about Columbus himself. And of course, as you might imagine, because things in our country can be a big fat mess on the cultural scene, Columbus Day is just way more controversial than it ever should be. I've got a headline from New York Post. NYPD is providing 24-7 protection for a statue of Columbus ahead of the holiday. What I had heard is that Antifa was planning on vandalizing Columbus statues around the country, wherever they exist. And so imagine that we have to have, you know, all these police forces and everything just to protect statues of Christopher Columbus. Now, what is the controversy about him? It's mainly that he brought to America people who, you know, did badly mistreat some of the native population here. Uh, in the Americas, um, the conquistadors from Spain. So there's the controversy. But the question is, is that what you remember Columbus primarily for? Or, you know, and, and again, do we judge him based on all the people in his time? Was, you know, was Columbus a perfect person? No, he was not a perfect person. But what do we remember him for? And if you want a really nice summation of you know, an approach to appreciating Christopher Columbus while acknowledging his flaws. I've got a clip from Tom Bowden. He did an interview some years ago on RT, actually, which is interesting. But they were saying, you know, basically they were skeptical about the value of Columbus Day. The host there was really grilling him. And he spoke in, in defense of Columbus and said, look, when you look at Columbus Day, what you should look at is you should look at this as a celebration of him making possible the spread of Western civilization to the Americas, that what we're celebrating is not, you know, an individual who brought some, you know, people who mistreated Native Americans and things like this. No, this is not what we're celebrating. What we're celebrating is 
somebody who was a skilled navigator who figured out how to get here, who went back and told people how also to come. And the eventual result was the spread of Western civilization here, including the creation of United States of America. That is the thing that we keep in mind. That's what Columbus, at least traditionally, has been remembered for. Of course, in last years, people have chosen to look at things about him that were less than ideal, but is is that really what you know he was originally remembered for? Is that what he's honored for? No. Um, so what do we celebrate today? We celebrate Western civilization, the values of reason, industrialization, the Industrial Revolution, eventually the creation of the first country in history founded on individual rights. But apparently Columbus Day is celebrated all around the world for its role in the spread and survival and flourishing of Western civilization and not based on some sort of a racist element either. It's interesting at the very end, if you watch that clip towards the end, uh, Bowden takes that up and he says, look, this, you know, this idea of having a patriotic type feeling about Western civilization, it's about values. It's not about race. So you're not saying, oh, it's just limited to white people or it's limited just to Americans or anything else. It's anybody around the world of any race who shares the values of Western civilization, reason and individualism. And if you're consistent about it, you're going to eventually embrace capitalism as well as part of that. And, you know, a a country that's based on individual rights, the first in history, United States, that's what we're trying to focus on. Now, if you go to Bill O'Reilly's version of defending Columbus, Rob Abiera shared it. Um, you know, he's got, well, nobody's perfect. Nobody's ever perfect. And that's not the first thing to trot out, right? And, and not to emphasize. I sort of wonder with Bill O'Reilly, given his past, whether saying, oh, nobody's perfect is more of a confession than anything. But you can judge for yourself. I just kind of leave that for you for amusement and also for you to just contrast Tom Bowden's approach, which is very principled in terms of Columbus versus Bill O'Reilly's approach. So thanks, Rob, for giving that for a a little comparison there. The, uh, The other thing that I noted when I was watching this host interview Tom Bowden is she says, well, look, there's only two people in the United States after whom you've got a federal holiday named. So you have Columbus and you have Martin Luther King. So shouldn't we hold Columbus to a higher standard is the point, right? Because Martin Luther King, you say, okay, well, Martin Luther King certainly didn't have a lot of the atrocities um, that Columbus did linked to him. And, you know, a couple things, first of all, I mean, you have to take into account the context of the time in which a person lived. And then if you think about it, Martin Luther King and everything that he did was made possible because of the spread of Western civilization to this continent, right? So this idea of the hold to a higher standard, you can't divorce the standard that you hold somebody to and decide, okay, well, we're going to take the good with the bad. You can't remove it from the time frame in which that person lived. And yet that's what people want to do. They want to judge Columbus and focus on the things that today we would say, no, those are, those are so wrong. I mean, if somebody 
like Columbus existed today, and there there were some you know black marks on his record that today you know like for instance Weinstein right uh, Weinstein got fired, and many of us are happy about that, but at a certain point in time there would have been a lot more tolerance for mistreatment of of women like Weinstein does. Of course, Michael Moore wishes that Weinstein would stay employed. I think I have a little, yeah, I've got a little tweet in there in the program notes about that for you. Uh, Rob in the chat room says, yeah, very illuminating comparison. Yeah. Between Bill O'Reilly's defense of Columbus versus Tom Bowden's defense of Columbus, you know, talking about what is the essential that you're focusing on within a context Bowden does a great job. And of course, he's got a whole book on um, on Columbus as well. So I suggest that you check that out. He talks about that a little bit in the clip there. Uh, just Gene in the chat room says, fires, no, I've got clear air here. Just far enough away not to be affected. You know, it's also the way the wind is blowing because a wind picked up at a certain point this morning, Gene. So that could be part of it. I remember I was out walking and at a certain point, a wind just suddenly started picking up and I think it carried a lot of the smoke further made it seem a lot different so let's go on now unless somebody wants to call in and talk about Columbus if you've seen anything any news stories about anti-Columbus demonstrations and things like that if you want to share those I don't know I know that from the New York Post it seems apparent that they were anticipating such things but again if if you're protesting Columbus I mean, if you think about it, it's Columbus that made your protesting of him possible as well. Um, it, you know, it's it's pretty far detached from core values and principles. We'll talk a little bit about principles later today, thanks to GFDA, good effing design device. Yeah, design advice, not device. Design advice. We'll talk a little bit about them. But let's go into Catalonia and... As it stands right now, it's unclear whether they're going to declare their independence tomorrow. After looking at various bits of evidence, I would tend to hope that they don't. And I'll talk to you about what specific things I had in mind, um, you know, kind of guiding my thinking here. That's one thing that I do is on this show, I just give you my thought process because you know, if I'm talking frequently a few days a week on things that are just happening each day, obviously I haven't fully digested and come through things. So it's, I, you know, I'm, I'm letting you into my thought process as good or as, as erroneous as they are and, you know, take it as it is. I know this morning I, I criticized Trump again and somebody very noisily unfollowed me on Twitter I don't know how I followed you, but goodbye or something like that. <laughs> okay, you know, this is this is life. I call things as I see them all the time, and I give you reasons as to why I do it, and you may or may not agree, and you can follow or unfollow. As I said to the guy on Twitter, I said, freedom of association isn't it a wonderful thing that we have that we can choose to, you know, unfollow or disassociate if we want to. Okay, so Spain. What is going to happen with Spain? CNN describes the coming week as a week of deep political uncertainty. The secessionist leader of Catalonia is going to consider whether or not to make this unilateral declaration of independence tomorrow. 
you know, they were going to have the meeting of the parliament today. And I had assumed if they were going to go on with it, they would have it on the same day it had originally been scheduled. But I guess that wasn't a fair assumption. They're going to have it tomorrow. And the president, Charles, Charles uh, Puigmont, that's the way I would pronounce it. And I tried to look at some clips to see if they would pronounce his name and they got around pronouncing it for me. So that's my best guess at it. They say he had been expected to make the formal declaration uh, maybe on Tuesday, but now they don't know if he's going to do this. Uh, There's a couple things. They had huge rallies against independence, Barcelona, and some people were not very happy apparently with his tactics, some people in the Catalan society. It's about 50-50 in terms of percentage in favor and against is the best that I can tell from the sources that I have. If you have better sources, let me know. But from what I'm looking at, it seems like it's about 50-50. And I've got one interview, thanks to Craig, a listener who posted it um, on the comments section of the last show at the blog. He's got an interview um, with an expert in Spain, a libertarian in Spain, you know, talking about his assessment of what the groups are like and what, and what's going on there. Now here's how it gets a little bit more complicated. So Catalonia wanted to secede and then just assumed that it would remain part of the European union once it did. However, now the French government has said that it would not recognize an independent Catalonia. And so if it declares independence, it would be automatically expelled from the European union. I guess, you know, I'm not, I should probably be more familiar with the rules of the European Union, but it looks like it has to be unanimous that all of the other countries have to admit you. So Natalie uh, Loiseau, is that how you would pronounce it? I think so, Loiseau. The Minister of European Affairs said that any declaration of independence would leave Catalonia isolated. Quote, if independence were to be recognized, which is not something that's being discussed, the most immediate consequence would be that Catalonia automatically left the European Union, she said. And then the prime minister, the Spanish prime minister, has been making all sorts of just sort of vague threats that they'll do whatever they have to do and things like that. Uh, Quote, Spain will not be divided and the national unity will be preserved. To this end, we will employ all the means we have within the law. It is up to the government to make decisions and to do so at the right moment. We have listened to many people, again, says the prime minister. I believe we know what Spaniards think, and they should know that the government, too, is clear about what it has to do, end quote, he says. So, you know, again, my standard on this, is that, no, you can't just secede for any old reason, particularly if you're a region of a country, you have people within your region that are counting on a continued rule of law based on, you know, the home country, the the original country. There needs to be a good and principled reason for secession and a significant move in the direction of more freedom. What I learned by listening to a significant portion of the interview that Craig posted, and let me go ahead and just find, uh, I'm going to go ahead and pull that up for you, just so I can do more justice in describing it here in a second. Yeah, so don't let it go.com. If you go to the blog, what you'll see is you'll see uh, the last three sets 
of program notes. And there are interviews and things that are in Spanish as well that you can check out. Of course, I'm capable of looking at only the English. The podcast that I listen to is called Mises Weekends, Mises Institute, Mises.org. And they interviewed Daniel Lacalle, which is the president of the Spanish Institute for uh, Mises Institute. He's a libertarian, so is he 100% perfect, somebody I'm going to agree with on everything all the time? No. But he, again, if he's right about what he's reporting, there are some things that seem like Catalonia is not necessarily going to be that much better off if they separate. And, you know, so the individuals within Catalonia, and this is the standard by which he was judging it too, are individuals within Catalonia going to be able to lead freer, better lives? And one of the things that he talked about was that they have uh, higher tax rates there. They have like a regional tax or something so that you wouldn't expect that the Catalonian government, whatever it turns out to be, is going to end up treating people better, respecting their rights more. This guy is particularly focused on property rights, even above, you know, he says property rights and then individual rights in his list of four things he prioritizes. But, you know, it is significant if one of your complaints is economic, that you're being drained, et cetera, that, you know, when you secede, if you're going to become an independent country, that you're not going to do any better by the individuals within the country than they're already being treated by Spain. Another thing that he talked about, which was significant, there has been apparently some sort of, there's a preliminary um, you know, declaration of independence or some sort of a declaration of intent he didn't say where you can find this and read this, but he was talking about some of the content of it. And one of the things is that they believe in secession, right? They want to secede and have this independent Catalonia. But then they say in that that none of the smaller regions within Catalonia, those who, you know, suppose they have an overwhelming majority within a subregion of Catalonia that wants to stay with Spain, that wouldn't be allowed, that wouldn't be allowed if the you know governing body, whatever it turns out to be called, of Catalonia ends up having its way. So they want to be able to secede from Spain, but none of the smaller regions within Catalonia would have the same right. So that's, that's not good. Um, the other concrete that he gave was this. And if you remember last time I had talked about some of the history, which thankfully I had a friend who um, coached me on that, but the the old rules within Spain the for under Franco you know kind of the Franco regime for all those years were that the Catalonians weren't allowed to speak their language right um, they they were actually not allowed to use their language and that changed in seventy five along with a bunch of other things um, what happens now with the regional government in Catalonia. That he said, this uh, Daniel Lacall, who the Mises Weekends interviewed, they say that if you're an individual business owner in the Catalonian region and you, um, you know, put all your business advertisements and I guess signs and everything out only in Spanish, suppose you choose to do that. I mean, and, you know, keep in mind, Catalonia is still within Spain, but if you choose to put all of your stuff, your business, I guess, advertisements, publications, whatever, only in Spanish that you would be fined by the Catalonian regional government. So there's evidence of, you know, an overbearing nature of this Catalonian government. 
Now, why do I say this is nonetheless part of the two wrongs make a big fat mess? I talked last week about the fact that when these, you know, when the people in Catalonia were going to have the referendum about independence, you saw tons of videos of the Spanish forces coming in there and Spanish police forces and using force, you know, actually kicking and beating up people who were trying to just go out and vote on independence. Uh, similarly, if you hear the prime minister of Spain, the threats and everything, it makes you sympathetic. The other thing is I've seen coverage uh, and a friend of mine actually sent me a link about this. And, and so, you know, thanks for doing that. A, um, you know, they have the, the anti-independence demonstrations and within those anti-independence demonstrations, there have been some very disturbing images of people doing fascist salutes. And then there's like this one guy, uh, an Im image that I saw, this uh, guy is, you know, shirtless, which is, he was yucky, disturbing enough, but he has the swastika on, on his chest and everything and stuff. So, you know, if you see that the government, the, you know, the Spanish government appears to be acting fascist. Um, you know, like, like I said, if you read, if we go back to over to the CNN story, I think in the CNN story is when they actually talk about what would be lost if Catalonia leaves. It, it makes you sympathetic to Catalonia. It says Catalonia accounts for nearly a fifth of Spain's economy leads all regions in producing 25% of the country's exports. It contributes much more in taxes, 21% of the country's total, than it gets back from the central government. Remember last time I was looking at some stats, it was like 19% or no, it's 90% of GDP, but then what was it? No, 16%. I can't remember. 16% of GDP and 90% of the taxes. It looks like it's, you know, there's different stats showing that, Spain is feeding off of Catalonia. So it makes you sympathetic. And you certainly can see that the central government of Spain seems to be cracking down on them. And that makes you more sympathetic if you see the anti-independence demonstrations and you see fascists within them. It's hard to tell exactly what element within it is actually fascist, but it definitely makes you more sympathetic with the independence movement. Still, when I look at the concretes that were laid out in that Mises podcast about the way that the Catalonian government actually operates and what it said about not allowing the subregions within Catalonia to similarly declare secession, that's my idea. You know, my idea is that it's probably better that they're not independent. And pragmatically, they might decide, given that they're not going to be allowed to retain, you know, remain in the European Union, they might decide not to declare independence at this point. Um, I, you know, I wouldn't be surprised if they don't, would be my prediction. Now, what do we got in the chat room here? Oh, people are uh, talking about Trump being unfollowed and all those kind of things. What do you guys think about the Catalonian uh, Craig, is that where you stand on it? I see Craig over here in the chat room. You you agree pretty much, I assume, based on what the expert said in the Mises podcast. Yeah. Anyway, thanks for sending that along. Everybody can go look at that. If you speak Spanish, you can access a lot more of what Craig posted at the blog than I can. I can't listen to those, but 
uh, I did find it quite helpful to, you know, hear some actual concretes about what would life be like for individuals if Catalonia declared independence. Yeah, Craig says, yes, more or less, it's, it's a real mess. And that, that's where I'm at. It's, it's a real mess. And if it is a real mess, then there's no point in having this independence declaration. And particularly if you say, oh, well, independence is for me, but not for thee, right? You can't, those of you who wanted to stay within, you're not going to be allowed to stay within. That's just really, really sad. So, um, so that's, that's my call. We'll just see what happens tomorrow and what, you know, I, I like it. I'm kind of hoping that there's not a declaration of independence, uh, not because there aren't some good reasons, some reasons to be sympathetic, but as far as I understand what they would put in place is not going to be better in any kind of a principled way. Uh, the things that we do want to be concerned about on the other side are real concerns, and we would like to see the Spanish government address more of the real interests of individuals living within Catalonia. We would like to see more shaming, public shaming of any of the fascist elements within the pro-unity movement. And we'd like to see some shaming of, you know, people within the pro-independence movement, anybody who's, you know, got some totalitarian ideas there. What I understand, it's, it's more socialist communist on the independence side and then maybe more fascist and you know, extreme right-wing nationalistic on the other side. And those movements are getting scary all over the world. So, you know, plenty to keep in check. You know, it's interesting, an event like this sort of fleshes out some of the worst, I think, on, on both sides. But that's my best take on it. Selfishness says the rule of law doesn't have any legal competition. That's true. I mean, this is one thing, you know, the the, the rule of law is a value only if the law is objective. And and by that, I would mean, of course, it's formulated in an objective way, but also the content. The content is based on the principle of individual rights, that it actually protects the rights of people. That's when the rule of law is a value. You could say, well, rule of law is a slight value under a a totalitarian communist regime, because at least you know when you've done something wrong. It's not like 1984 where they don't have any written law and they just watch you all the time and you think at any moment I might be doing something wrong and get punished and not really know it. Um, No concrete rules at all. Okay, that would be bad. But the rule of law is truly a value only when the content of the law is, is also proper. And so, you know, if you say, okay, well, first and foremost, I value the rule of law. And that's what the expert in the Mises thing, by the way, said. He said, rule of law, property rights, individual rights. And then what was his fourth? I can't remember if Craig, if you remember the fourth, then you can let me know. But the, the listing, the prioritizing of those things, right? I put individual rights first. Then you say, okay, property rights, rule of law, because rule of law is a value only insofar as it's helping you protect individual rights and, and property rights. And, you know, the mere fact that in declaring independence, somebody was acting outside the rule of law is not always so interesting to me. I tell you, you know, I suppose I come on the air and I say, oh, yeah, I broke a law today. You you probably don't think any less of me until I tell you what the law was, right? And that's 
you know, sort of a thought experiment that a philosopher did in this paper that I've read and used for a philosophy of law class. It's that really the, the mere fact that something is a law alone doesn't give rise to any sort of moral duty to obey it. You want to know what the content is. Uh, as much as positivists, pragmatists forever have tried to instill in you this idea of the rule of law and respect for law apart from the moral content of the law, you, you realize it's just not there. Craig in the chat room says, neither side in this dispute over Catalonian independence, neither side has much sympathy for liberty. And, and that's just sad. It's, it's, it's a really sad thing. But yeah, there are some really disturbing images from the anti-independence demonstrations out there. People making no kidding fascist salutes and one guy doing it standing next to somebody with a swastika tattoo. It's really revolting. So, um, a mess. And, you know, like I said, we could put the whole thing, a lot of topics on this show under two wrongs make a big fat mess, just like in law school we used to joke. All courses could just be one big course in RICO, racketeering, whatever it is, thing, RICO law, that you could just have a whole course that would be called RICO and... (laughs) That would be so. I have a whole show. The title all the time would just be two wrongs make a big fat mess. I guess I could do that. I could change the name of my podcast, right? It could just be two wrongs make a big fat mess. And each day I could talk about the different wrongs that make that day's big fat mess because that's it seems what we're in for. I don't know. Uh, maybe not. Talk about messes. We're starting to just get more and more trickles about. Russia's potential interference in our elections. It doesn't seem to be entirely fake news based on all the reports that keep coming out. The last thing you've heard from me is I had reported on Facebook, right? Facebook talked about a number of different types of ads and things that were sold unwittingly. Facebook didn't know that they were selling to Russian organizations. And the Russians who were purchasing these ads seem to be trying to foment hatred, uh, you know, kind of conflict and strife between different groups in the United States, right? Trying to push people into the identity politics and therefore fighting with each other over things that have nothing to do with ideas and have everything to do with the so-called identity politics. Um now we've got more evidence of it, and this is Google. Craig has got one more comment here in the chat room on the issue in Spain. So let me go back to that for a second before I go back to this Google story. He says, I don't think anyone in Spain has any overt fascist sympathies. I mean, obviously, some individuals do. Otherwise, oh, he says it could be a false flag. Okay. I don't, I don't know. Again, I don't know how prevalent it is, but I know that those images – have been circulating around and that's the problem so much anymore. You say, okay, well here, here it is, but how prevalent is that? And of those people who are opposing Catalonian independence, it, how many of them are doing it for fascist reasons versus actually, you know, questioning for good reason, the tactics and the substantive policies of the Catalonian uh, president, the president of the parliament. I don't know. 
and like I said, just based on everything that I've seen, when I look at those particular concretes about the way the Catalonian government is operating, then my you know, sort of overall principle about this, which is don't secede for some trivial reason, that's what kicks in. Uh, you wouldn't secede for a trivial reason, one that isn't going to make life significantly better for the people in the region afterwards. I don't, I don't see that it will be. I was drinking water, and actually it looks like I, what I should have done is I should have taken my little musical break to drink my water. Let me just do that real quick, and we'll come back, and we will start on to Russia and Google. Okay, everyone, I am back. I took a quick look out the window again during that tiny break, and it looks like there is some more yucky brown smoke blowing over this way. So I'll just keep watching it, and I'll let you guys know. As far as I know, I haven't gotten anything like an evacuation order. But, yeah, I am seeing more yucky brown smoke. Of course, I've been smelling the smoke the whole time I've been sitting here. Probably my voice is being affected. I don't know. It could be. Not sure. But anyway, let's go on. I, as far as I know, you know, I don't think I'm in a neighborhood that is really the type that's going to be evacuated from nearby brush fires. But this is about the closest that I've seen this kind of really yucky smoke. So we'll keep an eye on it. Looking out the window here. Let me see what we got going on over in the chat room. Yeah, okay, we're just still talking about Spain. So, yeah, I gave you kind of my best take on Spain. Again, it's based on the sources that I've got in the program notes and also thanks to Craig, show listener, who gave me some substantive material from last time, including the Mises podcast interviewing a libertarian from the Mises, you know, the, the Spanish Mises Institute. That was really helpful, so thank you. It, it helps to just get some set concretes that give you an idea of how to apply the standard. And again, for me, as I said, the standard, the proper standard would be don't secede for a trivial reason. Secede if you are going to make the lives of the individuals within that region significantly better. Why? Because you are going to change things in a principled way uh, for those people who are living there. And it doesn't seem like that's what is going to happen. So coming back over here to United States, we have a, an exclusive story from Washington Post released this morning. Google has uncovered Russian bot ads on YouTube, Gmail, and other platforms. By the way, YouTube, you know, I'm not on YouTube, and a lot of people are on YouTube, and they talk about go on YouTube and monetize YouTube. There's the whole do I want to be on video thing, which is something I haven't really gotten into yet. For me, I, I feel like I just scraped to create content for you guys. And if I had to worry about how I look and be on video and all that stuff in addition to it, it just seems too much for me at the moment. So that's one of the reasons I just don't appear on video for you guys right now. I, I guess my show would be more popular if I did. And so at some point I might have to do that. 
But at this right now, I don't. I just work on content. But if I was going to, I don't know that I would go on YouTube at all because I keep hearing about more and more reasonable people having their content on YouTube demonetized and because it's supposedly controversial or hate-filled or whatever it was. And the last one I heard about was Mike Rowe. Mike Rowe. I mean, Mike Rowe, he's just so nice and mild and cool. And I could not imagine that YouTube would flag any of his content as not appropriate for monetization on that channel. That's really disturbing. You know, uh, the other one is Dave Rubin, and I don't think it should be done to any of his stuff either. But you say, okay, well, so he interviews Milo Yiannopoulos, and Milo is, and we've seen from the BuzzFeed piece, actually connected with some unsavories on the alt-right and says a bunch of outrageous things and whatever. Yeah, Rubin interviews some controversial people, but Rubin himself is a nice principled guy you know he basically is an embodiment of traditional liberal values in in our country and promotes traditional liberalism in our country so i couldn't imagine that but surely mike rowe so no i wouldn't go on youtube but russian bought ads so they can buy ads on youtube gmail and other platforms Apparently there was, you know, some sort of an anonymous source, so we don't have all the details. And I don't know if we don't have all the details because it's an anonymous source or it's just an internal investigation in Google that is in progress and hasn't yet, you know, got all of the evidence behind it. But they say for the first time, Google has uncovered evidence that Russian operatives exploited the company's platforms in an attempt to interfere in the 2016 election. And this is according to people familiar with the company's investigation. They found that tens of thousands of dollars, doesn't actually sound like a pile of money, right? Uh, Not in the grand scheme of things, but tens of thousands of dollars were spent on ads by Russian agents who aimed to spread disinformation across Google's many products, which include YouTube, as well as advertising associated with Google search, Gmail, and the company's double-click ad network. Again, anonymous Sources. Uh, Google, says the Post, runs the world's largest online advertising business. YouTube is the world's largest online video site. Discovery by Google is also significant. Why? Because they say that the ads in this case do not appear to be from the same Kremlin-affiliated troll farm that bought the ads on Facebook. So this is more different people than the ones who bought the ads on Facebook. So they say this is a sign that the Russian effort to spread disinformation online may be a much broader problem than Silicon Valley companies have unearthed so far. Google writes the post previously downplayed the problem of Russian meddling on on the platform. Last month, the spokeswoman told the post that the company, quote, is always monitoring for abuse or violations of our policies, and we've seen no evidence of this type of ad campaign was run on our platforms. Nevertheless, they launched an investigation. Why? Because Congress is pressing the tech companies to determine how Russian operatives used social media, online advertising, other digital tools. Monday, they issued a statement saying that they're taking a deeper look 
to investigate attempts into the to abuse our systems, working with researchers and other companies, we will provide assistance to ongoing inquiries. Sorry, guys, I have to take water sip because, yeah, smoke, sorry. It's starting to tickle the throat here. It's kind of yucky. Okay. Um, so going back to this. Yeah, so the people familiar with Google's investigation, they say the company's looking at a set of ads that cost less than 100000 and still sorting out whether the ads came from trolls or maybe there were legitimate Russian accounts involved. Uh, so far, Google has avoided the scrutiny, but it looks like now, of course, they are going to also have it. Uh, Facebook ads, they're going back and reviewing you know, some of the details about the Facebook story. Those cost a total of about 100000 Again, in the grand scheme of things, 100000 doesn't sound like a lot. What do they do? They touted Donald Trump, Bernie Sanders, and Green Party candidate Jill Stein. So I guess disrupt party-favored candidates during the time. Um, other ads appear to have been aimed at fostering division in the United States by promoting anti-immigrant sentiment and racial animosity. Facebook has said that those ads reached just 10 million people out of the 210 million U.S. users that log onto the service each month. That's not important, right? So you suppose you say, oh, well, it's only 10 million and there's 210 million users of Facebook in the U.S., right? Of the 210 million, how many million are actually active in U.S. politics or going out there and doing demonstrations and events and things like this? It does not take exposure to a wide range of people. The real question is, how perfectly were those ads targeted? Were they targeted at exactly the people who would be likely dupes, right? They'd be taken in by this disinformation and also motivated to take action based on it if the Russian trolls, you know, whatever company they're from, if they were good at targeting the ads there is a lot that they could achieve with the $100,000, as little as that is. And I remember, you know, I was looking at one of the other articles, and they were saying that the ads targeted this one community in Idaho and actually made it seem as if there was going to be some event taking place that really didn't take place and stirring up anti-immigrant sentiment in the community. So it's really interesting. Um, John in the chat room says there's so much misinformation everywhere. There is. Josh says, I don't know what sounds like free speech to me. Here's the thing, right? Are they legitimate accounts? Are they troll accounts? And are they engaging in some sort of fraud? So if you buy ads in order to commit fraud, that's not free speech. If it's actually disinformation, that's not free speech. And if it's disinformation by somebody who's connected to a foreign government done in order to influence an election, it's certainly not free speech. So it doesn't sound exactly like free speech to me. And you know me, I am such a an advocate for free speech that if, if this smelled at all like free speech, I would be defending it. But I'm not. And why would I be? I, you know, I've got the whole the whole Trump NFL thing to talk about. And I guess we'll talk about it in a, a couple of minutes or so. Go ahead and get on to that. But I, no, I'm, I'm definitely a free, free speech advocate, and this does not sound like that. One outside researcher 
this is again going back to the Post article. One outside researcher has said that the influence of Russian disinformation on Facebook is much greater than the company has so far acknowledged it, it, because, and this is what they're saying, it encompasses paid ads as well as posts published on Facebook pages controlled by Russian agents. The posts, so again, we're not talking about paid ads right now. The posts were shared hundreds of millions of times, said Jonathan Albright, research director of the Toe Center for Digital Journalism at Columbia University. So we are going to learn more about this as things unfold. But, you know, yeah, 100,000 doesn't seem like a lot, but you could achieve quite a bit with 100,000 if you target it in exactly the right way. And there are people, as we know in Russia, who are expert at propaganda. They don't always get it right. What just came in my mind as I was talking about how there are experts in Russia on propaganda was there was this woman who just had this really, it was a funny music video. Oh God, I have to go back and remember it. I I posted it in some of the links to the program notes. Maybe you guys can help refresh my memory, but there, you know, there were some freedom people who were demonstrating against Putin and he wanted to shut it down. And he tried to recruit this pop star in Russia to actually put out a music video in the music video. She's trying to look all sexy and she's talking about how you shouldn't be a rebel. You shouldn't protest against Putin. And it was pathetic. It was really funny. So it's not that they always get it right, but there is, quite a lot of accumulated experience in Russia that they draw upon from their past in the Soviet Union about how to formulate propaganda and manipulate people. I dare say that I don't think that Trump is necessarily studied under them, right? But that Trump is also a a student of this type of thing. And it's one of the things that I criticize him for is using Twitter in a propagandistic way I'll keep, you know, drawing the 1984 comparisons and all that stuff as much as he keeps continuing to do it. Josh in the chat room says, just because it's true doesn't make it a fraud? Mm. Um, No, the vote for Trump ones probably aren't fraud, right? But if you are spreading misinformation about other candidates, then that would be fraud. People advertise for Christianity, says Craig. That is manipulative disinformation. Should Christians be prosecuted for fraud? Oh, wow, right? Um, question is, are you actually saying that a certain event happened and things like that? Is, that's quite interesting. <laughs> um, they actually believe it. So I would say no, right? With some sort of a, a fraudulent thing, you would say, okay, they have to have some sort of intent. They actually believe it, Um I would believe I would assume that the Russians who were spreading the stuff here, the disinformation, that the Russians themselves do not believe it. That would have to come out in the investigation for you to say no, this is not part of free speech. That's a that's a good question though. Uh yeah, propaganda isn't fraud. No, propaganda is not fraud. That's right. Yeah. But we we would have to draw the line. What is fraud and what isn't fraud? What is free speech and what isn't free speech? If these people are agents of a foreign government coming on Facebook and targeting advertising in order to influence a foreign election, that is not free speech. And to say, oh, well, we do it too, of course, you know, again, if we do it, we're wrong too. Um, 
you know, <laughs> how many wrongs make a huge fat mess in the world? Yeah. Now, Josh says, I don't see how any of it is fraud. Well, it's it's fraud if it is actually spreading misinformation. So, for example, one of the things that I read about was that they said that there was a certain event that had or was going to take place in Idaho that was completely made up. And it was made up in order to stir anti-immigrant sentiment up. An event that wasn't going to did not take place. That is fraud. Uh, John says, stop all foreign entities from entering into U.S. ads. I don't know about that necessarily, right? Because sometimes foreign companies might just want to advertise things for sale. And I would like to have foreign countries, entities, excuse me, foreign entities, not countries necessarily, foreign entities, companies, advertise things for sale. I might want to buy some cool stuff. I don't I don't see why you would do that. Yeah. Craig says, like, give me the date for the second coming. I know, Craig. I know. I know. Oh, these issues get complicated, right? You'd say, okay, well, technically it is. It's fraud. Now, if Facebook decided to have a policy, if Facebook decided to have a policy that they would not accept ads for, you know, telling about the second coming, I'd be in favor of them saying, okay, we're not going to, you know, accept money for that because we don't believe it's true. That would never fly anymore in the United States, unfortunately. And that's going to be Craig's argument for, yeah, United States, there is no United States left. There's no America left. I wish there was. There'd be a lawsuit so fast if Facebook no longer accepted money for advertisements about the second coming from Christians. It's true. It's really true. Um, anyway, this story is unfolding. There seems to be involvement. And yeah, it's not an answer to say, okay, well, we've done that in other elections as well. Uh, one thing you'd say, okay, well, whose elections did we do it in? Did we do it for the Palestinian Authority, so-called quote-unquote Palestinians? To me, that would be very different than if we interfered, say, in France's or German's, you know, Germany's elections. I don't think we should be doing anything for a semi-free country and certainly Russia should not be they have no legitimate reason to be interfering in our election none whatsoever so keep watching keep watching this space it doesn't seem like a lot of money but as i said if you target it appropriately then it could it could really happen uh, Twitter's another, right? Potentially there's going to be some exposure for Twitter. Twitter's not commenting on stuff like this right now. Twitter has been cracking down on people a lot as well, suspending them and doing all sorts of things. You know, and, and the, what, are, what are people calling for? What people are calling for, they say, oh, well, you know, they're all leftists. Why don't we give them a taste of their own medicine? Why don't we start regulating them heavily and, in, in effect, imposing the fairness doctrine on them? No, I don't think that's the answer either. But it is getting quite messy out there, right? It, it definitely is. Um, John says, when I have put ads on Facebook, they have to be approved. Oh, that's the same for me. Occasionally, thanks, by the way, to those of you who contribute to the show, one of the things that I do occasionally is I buy an ad on Facebook to promote a particular show. If there's a show that I'm proud of or I think has something important that I want to have, you know, get a wider audience, then I'll purchase an ad 
And yeah, it, it takes a not very long typically for my ads. They're almost always approved. And if they're not approved, it's for a real reason. You have a graphic that has too much text in it or something. They have this thing about don't try to put text in a graphic and, you know, boost that, so to speak. But almost all the time, I have my ads approved with absolutely no problem. I don't think, you know, who knows if I, if I get really popular and then people get mad because I'm slamming Trump, I'll just wait. People will be reporting me or whatever, and they'll shut down my page and everything else. Excitement. Um, by the way, about that Trump, right? Let's talk. We could talk a little bit about Trump and free speech. Over the weekend, he suggested in a couple different tweets at least expanding the equal time rule, the so-called equal time rule. Um, as it stands right now, they had this rule called equal time that you, if you're going to cover a certain issue on a show, then you'd have to give equal time to the opposing side or whatever. But newscasts, just regular newscasts, are exempt from such things. And Trump seems to be floating out there in a couple of tweets expanding the equal time rule. In, in other words, getting rid of the exemption for newscasts. Because why he thinks it's all fake news and they don't give him a fair shake and blah, blah, blah. They, he doesn't like the way he's treated by the various news media. And so he wants to start taking some more control over them, getting rid of an, you know, a time-honored exception. The equal time rule, of course, is bogus anyway. The government should not be telling any broadcast of any kind what it should be devoting time and, and space to. And you know, if you want to go further down the path of more controls over what media can do. I had some friends in New Zealand that were talking about, they just recently had an election and they talked about the types of rules that individual citizens have in that country about what they can post on social media within 24 hours of voting, uh, you know, in an election for the prime minister or national party or whatever. So um, it's, you know, it gets, it gets really ridiculous, but yeah, here's Trump. He's talking about, expanding the equal time rule, mandating equal time. So if MSNBC chooses to criticize him, then they would have to either give him or, you know, somebody who's speaking for him equal time to come in and, and say their piece. It's, it, would, it would be a mess, right? It would be a mess. Now, what I could see happening is that a number of the news outlets would choose to just ignore Trump and not cover him at all, rather than be subjected to such a rule. And then you might see something called the fairness doctrine be resurrected, or as I tweeted out there, would it be the zombie fairness doctrine that we would get because it would come out from, from Trump and everything. The fairness doctrine used to say not just that if you chose to cover something, you'd have to give equal time to the other side, but it, that you could be required to cover things that were considered of national importance or whatever. So that if MSNBC under an equal time rule decided, Oh, we're not going to talk about you at all. Trump will just forget your existence entirely, which he would hate. You'd know you'd hate, he'd hate that. Then a fairness doctrine type thing could come in and say, no, you must, you must talk about Trump. And then of course you have to give equal time to criticizing him and praising him because of course, 
then, you know, the truth will come out, right? If you have one side criticizing Trump and you have one side praising Trump, you know, of course, that the principal truth will come out there somewhere in the middle, right? No, not necessarily. That's another topic for another day. I don't, we've never actually done that topic. That would be interesting to do, which is talk about the adversarial legal system in the United States versus in Europe. In many countries in Europe, they have the judge do what's called an inquisitorial system. I don't know if it's formally that way in all the countries, but the judge in other countries has more power over what is actually presented in a courtroom. Here, we leave it to the plaintiff's attorneys and the defendant's attorneys, and the judge is at the mercy of whether somewhere in everything presented by the plaintiff or the defense, the principled solution is presented. The judge is not supposed to pull out of his own hat the principled solution to an issue or not necessarily so even though you get equal time you're not necessarily even going to get the truth um, now in in fairness why don't I go ahead and say something potentially positive about Trump not because I'm required to do so by any rule governing me but because I am required to do so by a principle of wanting to always call things as I see them and there's this story from New York Times Trump poised to sign order opening new paths to health insurance. And I'm getting the vague sense that somebody sent this to me and that I didn't give credit for it. But so if you did and I didn't, I'm sorry about that. Maybe I did find it myself. I read New York Times regularly. I could have found it myself. In any event, um, what is this order, an executive order that he's going to sign New York Times is obviously opposed to it because, you know, what are they talking about? They're going to marshal all of the people who are against it. What it apparently does is it makes it easier to associate with each other and buy insurance coverage. So you can create some sort of small associations and buy health insurance. They're saying that it could move the whole market a step closer to a long-standing goal that they say it's a long-standing goal of Trump. I don't know if it's a long-standing goal of Trump as much as some of the better people on the right wing. Uh, what if we allowed consumers to buy health insurance across state lines? Just open up the market to that extent, then it's freer, right? You're not prohibiting those transactions, and presumably it would be somewhat better. Conservatives write the, New York, write the New York Times here. They say that interstate sales could expand options for consumers, increase competition in insurance market, and perhaps lower costs. They're going to announce this order, whatever this executive order is on health care. They say it would instruct three cabinet departments to take actions to help individuals and small businesses join together to buy insurance through arrangements known as association health plans. Such plans could be sponsored by trade and professional groups and community organizations. I'm thinking also religious organizations would be included in that as well, but let's hope it also includes secular organizations. Again, going back to the Times article, while the order could exempt association health plans from some federal and state rules that Republicans say drive up costs, the president could not unilaterally change the laws that regulate insurance, such as Obamacare, and then there's an ERISA law from 1974 as well. 
but they say that he can direct federal agencies to reinterpret key provisions of the laws and revise rules under them. Now, who opposes this? That can be revealing. Of course, we don't know the real content of the order until it comes out, but based on what they've heard of what the content is, that he's going to try to open the market for so-called health insurance. It's not real insurance, but something like it. It's a zombie insurance, right? Blue Cross and Blue Shield is one of the big insurance companies. Some insurers, including them, oppose this idea of association health plans. Why? Here's the reason, very revealing. It says that these association health plans, quote, would skim off healthier consumers and leave traditional insurers with sicker, more expensive customers, end quote. So what would it do? It would allow individuals, by banding together in these association health plans, allow individuals to escape being skimmed off of, right? Escape the higher premiums that they are paying because they're shouldering the burden of the unhealthy people that are taken on by the Blue Cross and Blue Shield of the world. How dare you want to escape from enslavement, right? How dare? It's so revealing. I can't even believe that that's what they would say. And they say the National Association of Insurance Commissioners, this is the, the association of the state insurance regulators. They also, of course, oppose this. Because imagine, right, if companies are allowed to sell across state lines, then suddenly there's a lot of transactions over which, like the California Insurance Commissioner, no longer would have jurisdiction over sales to other states and things like this. So what do they say? They say that these association health plans are bad for consumers. Why? Again, quoting from the Times, because they can operate outside some state consumer protection laws. It's just bad because you aren't under our jurisdiction. Of course they're against it. They want to have power. End of story. Anyway, continuing. In addition, the state regulators said this year in a letter to Congress, proposals to allow such purchasing groups, quote, could actually increase the cost of insurance for many small businesses whose employees are not members of an association health plan, end quote. Now, if you analyze that again, all they're saying is that it will allow some people, the healthier people, to escape the enslavement that they're currently suffering under because they're paying higher premiums to make up for other people. That's what it is. So we haven't seen the order yet, but... It's if it's good, if you know, if it actually has all this stuff in it and it frees the market for so-called insurance and it doesn't include any additional controls or bits of enslavement for anybody else, anything yucky. I'm what I'm watching for in this is that it's going to include some of the things that are done in the name of so-called religious liberty. And it's going to explicitly give exemptions to religious people that aren't given to secular people and things like that. So I want to see what the content of this is, but the New York times isn't bringing up any of those things about religious liberty or not selling contraception or any of those things that I've heard about. So let's look and see what the order actually is. And then we can you know, decide, but based on what I see here, it's potentially good. The right people are mad about it. You know, the crony insurance companies 
who have been counting on having everybody bound to each other in, you know, the, the, the healthy bound to the sick in traditional so-called insurance companies, they're against it. And so it, might, it means that maybe it's good. Maybe it's good. We'll take a look at it. Now, Craig says, is saying what is sold is insurance, manipulative disinformation, or fraud? You know, I have bordered on this, right? So, Craig, when um, last year, when the insurance companies were releasing, you know, these are the plans that we're going to offer for this year, and they talked about the so-called PPO, the Preferred Provider Organization, and then they have EPO, which is Exclusive Provider Organization. The Exclusive Provider Organization's offer less selection and so a lot of consumers they want what they call the preferred provider organization so that you would have more selection of doctors and hospitals and things that you can go to sometimes you'll pay a little bit more but there's a lot more flexibility what they're doing now these companies is they're taking what was originally a preferred provider organization policy a ppo policy and they're slowly morphing it into what they call an EPO, which has much less choice involved. But they're not telling you that. They're still labeling it as a PPO. And I was joking. It's like it's, it's fraud. And, yeah, I would say even to call it insurance is fraud. Whenever I refer now to health insurance, I always put it in scare quotes. I always put it in scare quotes because it, health insurance is illegal in our country right now. You cannot buy true health insurance. What you buy is this prepaid voucher for care that you may or may not need or get. Uh, it might be even impossible based on your sex to use any of the health care that you're paying for under an insurance, so-called insurance policy today. So yeah, I agree with that. Uh, that said, I'm going to take just a break. I'm going to drink a little more water. Got some smoke hanging out here. Be right back. Okay, everyone, I am back here. It's definitely darker here than it normally is at this hour. It's kind of weird looking. A lot of brown smoke out there. There's quite a bit of bluish sky underneath it, too, that I can see. So it's not completely engulfing. It's not as totally scary looking as it was, but it's there. I'm still watching it. So we, well, we got about 20 minutes left. I'll do fine. Let's see here. Yeah, EPOs masquerading as PPOs, just Jean in the chat room says exactly, found the same thing. John in the chat room says, Adam Ruins Healthcare is a nice video that explains health insurance, quote unquote, fraud. Many people, I don't think I'm the only one to have observed this. It, it's That's definitely what it is. It's definitely what it is. It, it's a fraud. Now, I gave you the potential good news about Trump. He may be signing this order that's going to open new ways to purchase, quote, health insurance, and that might 
give an incremental improvement in what's going on under Obamacare, despite the fact that the Republicans and he have failed miserably to repeal, et cetera. But here's the bad news. I'm going to go ahead and tell you now after the break. Yeah, I sucked you in. Um, He was tweeting over the weekend about the fact that he was going to talk with Chuck Schumer about making a health deal with the Democrats. And, you know, when I posted about this, I posted about this on Facebook, you know, because I tweeted Trump and then I post my tweets to Trump on Facebook. I have a Facebook friend. Uh, her specialty is more energy and stuff. So, you know, it's not, it's not a thing. She says, is this for real? She's been generally pretty high on Trump and pro-Trump. She's not, you know, majorly high on him, but pretty high on him. And she was horrified at this. This is what he said. This is exactly what Trump actually tweeted. This is not a joke. He said, I called Chuck, Chuck, excuse me, I called Chuck Schumer yesterday to see if the Dems want to do a great health care bill. Obamacare is badly broken, big premiums, who knows? Now, what do you think of when you first think of a deal with the Democrats with Chuck Schumer. If you look at some of the op-eds that they've been floating around the New York Times, there was one recently that was, hey, this is a single-payer plan that could really work. Or so They are so excited about the fact that Trump and the GOP have failed to repeal Obamacare because they know the next step along this path is some sort of single-payer, some sort of quote-unquote universal health care. So what do I write back to Trump? Pretty sure that if you want to rekindle your romance with, quote, universal health care, and I put in parentheses socialized medicine, we don't want him to get away with even calling it universal health care because it is. It's socialized medicine. I say Chuck will happily play matchmaker. Trump in the past, in print, supported so, so-called universal health care. So, you know, on the one hand, he's doing this order, which sounds good. On the other hand, He's saying that he wants to make a deal with the Democrats. So you have no idea what's coming. If you're in the healthcare industry in any way, I feel really sorry for you because you have no idea what is coming. If they leave everything alone, then all the health insurance companies are going to continue to consolidate and the PPOs are going to become the EPOs. There's going to be less and less choice for you know, the patients. Patients are not going to be able to keep going to their favorite doctors and all this stuff is going to happen. It's going to consolidate eventually. Or maybe Trump is going to, you know, issue this order and it's going to help free up some things a little bit for a while and make it amble along a bit. Or maybe there's going to be a deal making universal health care and they're going to rope in some of the Republicans. Why? Because they'll have this deal for universal health care that will allow some of the plans to exclude contraception or abortions or stuff like that. And that's how they're going to make some of the GOP happy. And then they'll vote for it. It's, it is, I'm scared about what is going to happen with healthcare. It could be semi-decent. No, not even semi-decent. It could be slightly decent. It could be horrible or it could just amble along and keep moving towards socialized medicine. And then what else is Trump tweeting about over the weekend? We'll talk about the NFL in a second, but he's also continuing to tweet about North Korea. And I don't even know if we should 
take it seriously because in some ways I feel like he's tweeting about North Korea in order to get us to forget about the other domestic things that are going on. He's still being criticized about what's happening with Puerto Rico. He had one tweet. I just, I can't comment on every single thing they tweet. I can't tweet about everything. People just think, my God, don't you do anything else? Um, he had one tweet about Puerto Rico. It was like, nobody else has ever done so much with so little recognition. <laughs> I was going, okay, you're the president of the United States. If you're doing your job, are you doing it for recognition or maybe just because it's your duty because you happen to be in the most powerful office in the world right now? It's unbelievable. Go back and go look at his Twitter feed if you don't believe me. I couldn't believe it. It's like, well, you know, I've done all this and I don't get any recognition. Um, that's that's your president. So I didn't vote for him. I would never vote for him. I was a never Trump. I won't ever vote Trump. Um, yeah, so he's tweeting about North Korea as well. And what was the latest thing that he was tweeting about North Korea? Or here's one of the latest things, because I know he's tweeted since then. He had a, a two-tweet Series And he talks about how, you know, everything that we've done so far, he says it hasn't worked. Agreements violated before the ink was dry. Making fools, actually it was making fools. He had a typo in there, he hasn't corrected. Making fools of U.S. negotiators. Sorry, but only one thing will work, exclamation point. And then that was the end. He didn't tell you what it is that's going to work. He leaves you hanging like, oh, you, I guess war. I guess that's what he means, right? Um. <laughs> One of the things that was funny, actually, it's not the first one now, but it used to be that the first tweet that was responding to him, I guess it's done by popularity, the guy writes back, if you, again, you have to be able to laugh at this and you have to be able to drop the context that he might be provoking somebody who might actually fire a nuclear weapon at us. If you can do that, then you'd say, okay, uh, dance off, is that what it's going to be, dance off like that? Uh, I forget the movie where they had the the dance off with the really bad guy, Donald Trump and Kim Jong Un having a dance off. It, it is it is kind of funny, but yeah, he tweets about that. And what do I make of the tweets? In some ways, I think it's all about distraction, and I make the analogy to always talking about the war with East Asia in 1984. If you've read Orwell's 1984, so if you see me tweeting about East Asia in connection with North Korea and you haven't read 1984, I mean, first of all, you should read 1984, but that's the connection in the totalitarian society in 1984. They were always talking about the war with Eurasia and East Asia. And if you were thinking about that war and you were all mad at our so-called enemies, then you would forget the deprivations that you were suffering at home. I've got a call. I'm going to go ahead and grab it. Hi, you're on the air. Who's this? Hi, it's Richard from Australia. How are you going? I'm doing okay. Can um, I don't know if you've got something on in the background. I was hearing a bit of noise in the background, but yeah, I'm currently on a train. Um, so back back to the healthcare stuff. This is just a this is literally textbook Trump. He's mm-hmm. written about this in his book, The Art of the Deal, and this sort of stuff. If I'm getting a lot of noise, Richard, right now. Yeah, a lot of noise. yeah, I know. It should stop fairly fairly shortly. I'm on now. I'll have to call you back another day. Okay, okay. Thank you, Richard. Yeah, sorry about that. I'll, this story is never going to go away. You know that. So we'll we'll talk about it yeah. again. Okay. Um, yeah, I do encourage people to call in, but if it, if the noise is too much, I do have to go ahead. 
and um, disconnect it. Oh, in the chat room, Kay says, it is nice to be recognized. Yeah, it is nice to be recognized, right? But if your job is to handle a disaster of a hurricane, then, and, and that's just your duty, you've taken it on as president, then I wouldn't go around tweeting about it if the failure to be recognized. I mean, you could think about it, but is it very presidential to say, oh, well, here I am, I'm doing all these things that are just really part of my job. And, you know, I'm not being recognized for it. Just do your job and then let the recognition follow. And, you know, you could talk about the recognition some other time that is not so close to the actual thing that you're supposed to be doing. To to me, it doesn't seem right. Of course, you can call it as you see it as well. But to me, it's overly concerned with how how much recognition that he's getting couple other things in the program notes that I want to get to before the end of the show. I've got a link to the hormone doctors, the endocrinologist blog that I've been talking to you guys about a little bit. I've only talked a little bit about it so far. The blog is called Hormones Demystified and the new post by HD, this doctor's anonymous, he goes by HD. It's called Dear Alternative Medicine, Stop Testing. And in it, he talks about the fact that a lot of people in so-called alternative medicine go beyond just telling you things to make you healthier and live a better life. They recommend and therefore have you buying tons and tons of tests and that the tests are of little proven worth, right? Um, the, there, you know, just, and, he, and he says, you know, just because a lab has created a range, you know, some sort of a normal range for a particular value that you can draw blood for and test for doesn't mean that that test is particularly useful in terms of you taking any sort of action and that it's this trend to, you know, test you for everything in the world and somehow have you think that you're going to be doing something to improve your health. And what you need to know is, you know, what, is the value of this test to you, particular as a person, giving your symptoms, et cetera. I, I really do like this doctor's approach. It's very, it's evidence-based, basically saying don't pursue some sort of a test or treatment unless there is evidence that it's going to actually benefit the patient. And he's doing it in this field, this endocrinology field, where, and I've done a little bit of exchange uh, with him by email so many of us are, you know, just kind of susceptible to be being taken in by the propaganda that's out there. In particular, I've talked about, I've got Hashimoto's. Hashimoto's is this autoimmune disorder. It's fairly common. It's not like I'm, you know, some bizarre freak or whatever. And I'm saying, you know, I'm some weird person. A lot of us have Hashimoto's. It's just our immune system attacking our thyroid. It's not Anything, I mean, it's kind of mysterious in the sense that I think it happens in different people for different reasons a little bit. And maybe there's a combination of reasons and it can be hard to get at. But what it does is it makes us susceptible to this idea that if you spend hundreds of dollars on tests for this, that, and the other, you're going to find the one thing that is causing your autoimmune system to attack your thyroid. And it's not even necessarily true. Um, 
And that's what this doctor warns against, not just with respect to thyroid issues, Hashimoto's and other thyroid issues in general, but also with respect to the use of, um, you know, sex hormones. So your estrogen, your progesterone, your testosterone, people are supplementing with those and not really knowing what they're doing. All sorts of stuff. This doctor debunks a lot of the quackery out there, and I really like it. I have personally found the blog helpful with respect to one thing so far, and he's got a post. It's called T3 or not T3, and it talks about when people do have thyroid issues, they automatically assume that natural is better, and the natural hormone that you would supplement is to take pig thyroid, desiccated pig thyroid. And in the post, he talks about the fact that the ratio of the two thyroid hormones is not the same in the pig thyroid. So chances are, even if you need it, you're taking too much. And by the way, most of us don't even need it, that we can convert the T4 into the T3 ourselves. And so when I read this and I compared what I was reading also to the way I had been feeling I, I had been taking the desiccated pig thyroid. Yes, because it was natural. I was sucked into this, okay? Um, I, was, I, I was doing better than some because I was taking a very specifically calibrated brand of this. You know, some people, they buy it online. They don't even have it prescribed. They're eating it for meals or something. They're just eating pig thyroid. They don't know how much they're getting. At least I sort of knew how much I was getting. It was still wrong for me. Change medication felt a lot more even ever since I did that. So I already have that to thank, you know, but I'm, I thank this doctor for that. But I think if you go there, if you're interested in any of these thyroid issues, these hormone supplementation issues, you could find posts on that blog that interest you as well. I plan on interviewing this doctor on my podcast and I, I'm going to focus, you know, I'm very selfish about this stuff. I'm going to focus on stuff that interests me in particular, but because the condition that I have and all of the literature that I've read is stuff that's directed to a vast quantity of people, probably you know somebody in your life who's had Hashimoto's. I think you'll benefit from my interview as well because I want to talk about all of the different things that we Hashimoto's patients are told out there that we should be doing in order to cure or put in remission the, the Hashimoto's and how much evidence is there actually behind these things or how much is it that, you know, there's these gurus just trying to get followings and et cetera. Um, I think some of them are well-meaning. I think some of the people who, you know, m you know, market and pitch to Hashimoto's patients that they're well-meaning. But when I actually dig in and look for evidence and, and I have that standard, I don't see it. And as I said, I've already applied one suggestion in particular and benefited from it. Now, they're still talking about Trump in the chat room. It might be that many of you won't be so interested in that one particular show, but I, I would say maybe what I'll do is I'll add in some questions about supplementation of, of sex hormones and things like that. I'm interested in those things as well. And so we'll put those in and those I would assume would be of, more general interest, if even if you don't have any kind of a thyroid problem, but a lot of people do, and there's a lot of misinformation out there. So talk about misinformation. That whole show is going to be talking about countering 
misinformation. We may also get into the healthcare industry as such, but I gather that he and I disagree quite a bit on the politics of medicine. So we might not get into that too much, maybe, maybe a little bit or something. We'll see. A couple other things. I got a tweet just because Harvey Weinstein has been fired now, right? And it turned out that Michael Moore went out there in defense of Weinstein. This is before he was actually fired by his board. It says, actually, Harvey Weinstein is one of the best people to work with in this town. Fun fact, never reported. So talk about holding people to a higher standard and holding people to a high standard today. How is it that Michael Moore sees that it's okay to defend someone who has had to pay off harassment suits multiple times over many years? I don't know. Um, And then, oh, GFDA. GFDA had this great little Monday advice today. Don't play by the effing rules. And, you know, they elaborate on it. But, yeah, don't play by the effing rules. And my answer to that is yes. Why? Because principles, principles are so much effing better. And that's what I try to do on this show. I try to apply principles as best I can to a number of the messy concretes, the two wrongs, make a big fat mess, whatever those messes are out there. I'm applying the principles, working you through the process and stuff. And I find it better. I find I understand things better. I feel better about the decisions that I make in a world where there's a lot of messes and things like that. Hopefully you will come around that as well. Um, There's a new Mona Lisa by Da Vinci, a naked Mona Lisa that's been discovered. You might enjoy reading about that in the program notes, a little musical selection just based on government disinformation and stuff like that. You might enjoy I will talk to you guys Wednesday. We're out of time. So it's 3 p.m. Pacific on Wednesday. Excuse me, 3 p.m. Eastern time on Wednesday, 12 p.m. Pacific. Hopefully no fire then. I'm going to go tend to it now. I'll talk to you guys. Take care. Thanks for joining.